Today's reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 11, and can be found on page 724 in the Blue Church Bibles. That's Isaiah chapter 40, page 724. Comfort for God's people. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. We're going to uh, uh, dive straight into Isaiah chapter 40, one of the most wonderful Old Testament passages you could ever read, and uh, I'd loved us to have spent the whole time looking at the whole chapter, but we're just going to focus on, on verses 1 to 11. If you've got a church Bible around the place, these turquoise church Bibles, you're going to head to page 724, and it's going to be really handy having that open as we look at God's Word together. So dig out a Bible, page 724, and we're in Isaiah 40. I only ever got one detention when I was in high school, and I was devastated when I did. You see, I prided myself in uh, being a bit better than everyone else. I was a pastor's kid. Butter couldn't melt in my mouth. Detention's not for me, thank you very much. That wasn't what I did and traded in. And then came Year 9 Classics. I uh, sort of got on with Miss Ashmead, uh, but her fanatical requests for homework on time every week clearly hadn't understood the demands of a busy 13-year-old boy, uh, she'll be fine, I kidding myself time after time, and she, she knows it's going to be good when it comes in, I'll hand it in when it's ready, and when I'm ready, and she needs to calm down a little bit, and so in my own time, I handed the assignment to Miss Ashmead, and waited for the inevitable plauditory, only this time it uh, came in the form of the roll call of dishonour, and names being read out at the end of class, you had to stay on for detention for repeated homework negligence. Now, that may sound incredibly trivial to to you, uh, but for me, I was devastated. My pride was shot. My blameless school record 
gone up in flames any future career I might have perilously hanging in the balance. You think I'm joking? I genuinely felt that way. Uh, I'd crossed a school boundary. I tried to blag my way out of it, and I was rightly being punished. And sitting in that downstairs classroom long after dark, as minutes became many minutes, came over an hour, my mind was filled with anger, then regret, then shame and fear about what my mum and dad were going to think of me. I was genuinely worried in a 13-year-old kind of way that I'd permanently damaged the relationships with people who meant the most to me. Well, we're in Isaiah 40. It's written to a group of people who, spiritually speaking, God had given a detention to, a punishment, repeatedly for crossing his boundaries, rebelling against him, thinking that they were in charge, when in fact he was in charge. They thought they were the teacher's pets. In fact, they were acting like all the nations around them. Isaiah is a prophet. He was writing the 8th century BC, that's 2,700 years ago or so, and he spoke on God's behalf between 740 and 700 BC. Now, I'm not sure if you've studied the book of Isaiah before, but there are three big sections to the book of Isaiah. Chapters 1 to 39 is basically Isaiah speaking to his audience at the same time. And he's warning them, if you don't trust in God, if you don't repent from following idols, we'll take you out of the promised land. And he's urging them to not trust in idols and false gods, but to trust in him alone. That's chapters 1 to 39. If you're writing notes, you might want to jot that down. 1 to 39... Will you trust in me when you're under pressure? Well, guess what? Do you think the the people of Israel uh, trusted God? Or did they continue rebelling? What do you think? Did they trust or continue rebelling? Anyone? Continued rebelling. Thank you. So if you've got your Bibles open, have a look in chapter 39, verse 5. This is what we read. Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all your predecessors have stored up unto this day. Imagine King Charles and all his great wealth in Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle and Sandringham. Maybe you uh, saw that programme about the coronation over Christmas. All that amazing wealth. All of it is going to be taken off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And uh, in 586 BC, God had the people exiled to Babylon for detention for 70 years. So chapters 1 to 39 is where are you going to trust when you're under pressure? It's Isaiah's word to his own generation. But very interestingly, chapter 40 to 55 is Isaiah's word or God's word to the next generation or a few generations time. It's as if the Holy Spirit inspired Isaiah to take up a pen and write down... Um, a word for a future generation and to write it down and to bury that word in a box under the ground, a bit like a doomsday box if you've done those at school where you plant it into the ground and a future generation, many years to come, will open up and find it and it has on the box, open when you're in exile, uh, which they eventually were because chapters 40 to 55, very different from the first chunk of Isaiah and uh, we come out of the world of a disobedient people. Where are you going to trust? Will you repent? Will you not? And now the people are broken. They've had 70 years of detention. They've been languishing, sad, sorrowful. Has God rejected us? What are we to do with our past? What are we to think about the future? Cue 
Isaiah chapter 40, which is our passage. So again, pull out the Bibles if you've got them and let me read verses 1 and 2. Worth having in front of you if you possibly can. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord double for all her sins. You see, the exile in Babylon, this detention, felt like it was going to go on forever. Days became days, became weeks, became months, became years, became decades. And maybe initial anger turned to regret and to shame and to fear. Fear that God's people might have permanently damaged their relationship with God. And God seemed a long, long, long way away. Now, I guess for many of us, at least... At times during 2023, we may have felt that God feels a long, long, long way away. Maybe we've experienced something this year and it's got us doubting whether God is really committed to us. Maybe we've done something this year that has made us doubt whether God could really love us. Maybe there's a family concern. Maybe there's a health concern. Maybe there's some financial concern. And it's got us doubting, is God... For us, really. Maybe we've read something, we've watched something on YouTube, we've um, just had a bit of a wobble spiritually. Someone gave us a book, you've got to read this, and it's just got us shaky. Is God really there? And yet for people in exile in Isaiah 40, and for us today, many, many centuries later, these are chapters full of amazing hope. And uh, this morning we're going to look at verses 1 to 11. These glorious, uh, famous words. It's uh, words that inspired some of the most amazing music. I was listening to Handel's Messiah as I was writing my message this morning and uh, uh, for today. And uh, wonderful words. I'm not going to sing comfort, comfort my people. You need a better tenor than me for that. But these are great words. And we're going to see two important points from Isaiah 40. Here's our first important point. Receive comfort for your past. Receive comfort for your past in verses 1 and 2. Try and put yourself in the shoes of those exiles, okay? We're going to try and imagine what it was like. Is this the end of my relationship with God? I'm in detention for 70 years. Is there any way back from this sin? Maybe I'm going to be defined by my sin, defined by the way I've turned my back on God. Does life in exile really mean that God is finally done with me and fully? Have we sinned away God's love? Have we out-sinned God's ability to forgive us? We may think. I'm not sure if you've ever had a spiritually chastening, humbling experience. And maybe someone once confronted you about how you were acting and a pattern of sin, the way you were treating someone. They challenged you about it. Maybe you became aware that you were letting someone down. Uh, And maybe a relationship that should have been healthy went sour. And uh, maybe, you know, there's a, a kind of torn And a breakdown of a relationship there, and you're aware of it. And maybe that happened years and years ago. It might have happened in 2023. And maybe even over the last week or so, over Christmas, it can be a bit stressy, can't it? Lots of travel, families crammed together who don't normally spend as much time with each other. An angry word was said in the stress. A short word was said, a bit of mistreatment, a moment of recklessness perhaps. Maybe a time when we compromised spiritually in some way. We acted out of doubt instead of out of faith, trusting in God. 
And maybe, whatever the context, we might find ourselves feeling like we've set ourselves on a pathway, either recently or many, many, many years ago, and we can't get out of that pathway. It feels like we're always going to be on that path rather than the better path. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, all of us can think of a time when we were humbled in some way due to our less than perfect obedience. And at those times, maybe we did feel a touch of the Lord's discipline on us. And the questions that the exiles felt might have been questions that we feel today. Is this the end of the road for me and God? And yet into this voice, and this sorry gloom of exile, there is a voice of comfort that we read here. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. We've just landed in Isaiah 40 uh, today on the 31st of December, but just imagine being trapped in gloom, in the darkness for, for years and years and years. Maybe you remember what? What was it, 12 or 13 years ago when those Chilean miners were trapped underground? 69 days. That's a long time of gloom and waiting and waiting and waiting. And suddenly, amazingly, a bright light shines in. A wonderful voice speaks out. And what this voice says is wonderful, isn't it? Look down again. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. You still belong to me. Despite what's happened, despite 70 years of detention, 70 years in Babylonian exile, despite the discipline of a father, because this is God's fatherly discipline of Israel and Judah. The New Testament makes it clear that God still continues to discipline his children because he loves them. Famously in the book of Hebrews we read, my child, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as a son or a child. Now we've got to be careful when we talk about discipline because sometimes we say, well, is this bad thing happening to me because I did a particular sin? Why does it always rain on me? Is it because I lied when I was 17? Is it something that I did that has led to this specific sin? We've got to be careful not to do that. The book of Job assures us not to do that. That was the the mistake of Job's comforters. You have done something wrong, therefore this is happening. Or John chapter 9, Jesus talks to the Pharisees who say, was this man's parents or him that sinned that he was born blind? No, we don't kind of draw a direct correlation. And yet, we're in a fallen world. And Sad, unfortunate, unhappy consequences happen to us all because we're all downstream of having rejected God. And sometimes we do need to ask ourselves, maybe is the Lord challenging us? Is he humbling us? Is he disciplining us? And he wants to say, stop being so half-hearted. Stop trusting other things rather than me, which only land you into more trouble. So we're not spared, we're spared the ultimate separation from God that might come one day we'll come on to that, but we might face the, the, the short-term challenge of the Lord. Let's look back in, in the, the scriptures and see if we can work this out for us. So, speak, this is verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, the Lord allowed those those exiles to go through 70 years of long, long gloom so they wouldn't take him for granted. They wouldn't think that his love was cheap. But having gone through this gloom 70 years, he wants to assure them, your sin has been paid for. You have received from the Lord's hand double for all your sins. Now, 
Sometimes people struggle with what that means. What does this mean to receive from the Lord's hand double for all your sins? Does that mean Judah was punished twice the amount she should have been for the punishment? That would go against everything we know of God, because God is a fair God. And the, the, the punishment always fits the crime with God. Now, actually, the, the phrase, she has received the Lord's hand double for all her sins, is a clever Hebrew way of uh, referring to an exact matching of punishment lining up with the crime. So don't think of a mathematical double. Think of a body double, you know, like a stunt double in a movie. Okay? So you, you've had exactly the double of your sins that it was required. So, for example, if they were to make a spy thriller about Highfields Church, it's only a matter of time. Um, and it involves me parachuting out of a helicopter um, and landing in the courtyard out there. Uh, we would probably use a body double uh, of me to do the dangerous bit. I know someone who looks a lot like me, Tom Cruise or someone like that. And uh, <laughs> that, down they go. And a body double is an exact representation. Well, so in Isaiah 40, this is God's mirror image rebuke to their sin. They have received exactly what they needed. Their sin has been paid for. And it's all over. The payment has been paid. Your sin has been paid for. It's done and dusted. Your hard service is completed. And you can come home. Well, that's the Old Testament. And if that's true then, then how much more for the New Testament? Who Maybe today we find ourselves still languishing in guilt and shame and fear and the detention of, does God really love me? For how I've treated him? Well, the word from the Lord to us concerning our past is receive comfort for your past. It's over. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, then the worst of sins, the worst of offences, to one who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. That's amazing, isn't it? Whatever we've done years ago, this last week, it is all over. It is all paid for, done and dusted. It's finished. The ultimate body double has paid for your sin. Jesus Christ, as he dies on the cross to take the punishment of all those who trust in him, sins of weakness, of negligence, of our own deliberate fault, we'll say later on in our communion service. They're not paid for by us, by being chastised forevermore. No, they are paid for, have been paid for by Jesus when he bore our sins, as we'll see if we carry on reading Isaiah 53. The punishment that brought us peace is placed on him. So that at not one moment, whenever we face challenging times, will we ever say, God is not loving me. He's still committed to me. He's still in my corner. He's still a forgiving Heavenly Father. And so as we approach 2024, I want to pause at this point and ask you, what are you tempted to look back on where you say, and I tempted to think, maybe God's turned away. Maybe God's frown is on me because I can see a chastening experience. Something has happened to me. I've done something. Maybe a compromise, a thought, a word haunting me even to today. Well, whatever comes to mind, maybe you can think of something that you know is there. However great or small, Isaiah 40, 1 and 2 assures us that the cross of Jesus tells us it's been all paid, it's all paid, every penny has been paid. And until you grasp that, friends, you'll spend your life living life like you're a marathon runner, running from the 
Christmas shopping shops to the Boxing Day sales, just carrying and carrying and carrying, not gifts or presents or bargains, but guilt and shame and regret and mistakes and memories. and It'll bear you down and exhaust you. And it exhausts those you love as they observe this. No, don't, don't be borne down. Don't be loaded down. Don't allow other people to feel that too. We'll live our lives thinking... He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Are we sure he's for us? Friends, if you know the freedom that your past has been paid for, comforted, it's forgiven, it's forgotten forevermore, that will do your 2024 the world of good, I assure you. And if you've never experienced the freedom that comes from knowing that your past is cleaned up and forgiven, please have a word with me or the friend who brought you here today. Well, that's our first point. It's the longest point. Receive comfort for your past. Well, here's our second point, and we're going to look to verses 3 to 11 here. Renew hope for your future. Renew hope for your future. Some of you worked this out, maybe. I know you like to try and guess the words before they come in your handouts. It's one thing to have your past cleaned up, but it's an absolute another thing to have a future that is secure where you know that a future won't kind of go wrong like your past has gone wrong. If your future was secure, if your future was full of hope, your future was renewed, what good that would do you in 2024. And guess what? That is on offer in Isaiah chapter 40. Now, uh, uh, young people, I wonder whether you can look down here on your Bible, Bible's open, and there are three times in this vision of the future where we're told that three different voices speak. Three times we hear a voice speak. So I'm going to give you 20 seconds to try and spot the three times a voice speaks. So have a look down in your Bibles. Again, it's page 75. Three times a voice speaks. Can you spot them? Okay, I'm going to give you 20 seconds while I have a drink of water. Have you spotted the three voices? Yep, okay. First voice is in verse, shout out. Verse three. Next voice is in verse six. And the next one, did he spot it? Eight, nine. Well, verse nine, actually. Yeah, verse nine. So let's have a little look at these. So we put them on the screen. First one is what we might call a voice about God's coming. Well spotted. This is in verses three to five. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Again, Handel's Messiah playing in my ears as I, as I read those words out. It's a picture of the arrival of the king. All of Babylon is being prepared for his arrival. Now, I don't know if you can remember, it was about 10 years ago, I think, when uh, Barack Obama, the then President of the United States, came to Cardiff. Anyone remember that? Stick up your hand if you remember when he came to Cardiff. He came to Cardiff, it was a big NATO summit in a Celtic manner, and Obama came, and loads of world dignitaries, and for months and months and months in advance they prepared for it. And the council have never dealt with the potholes around Cardiff like that time. Every, every valley was made straight. <laughs> For the coming of President Obama. And if you thought that was good, the ultimate VIP, the Lord God of heaven, he's going to come. So this, this 
wonderful promise says, and every valley is going to be inverted. The mountains are going to come down. The valleys are going to come up. It's going to be smooth. It's so important that the, the Lord God Almighty can r- bring his, his glory, his chariot smoothly in rather than kind of bumpy around on the Cardiff roads. Well, those exiles would have felt very puny being sent into Babylon, that detention, little exiles in the massive hustle and bustle of, of Babylon, lost in the crowd. But they're being told that their mighty king is coming to get them. He's coming on his way. Now, some of them may even have remembered when Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, the king of Babylon, and his armies had arrived to, to ransack Jerusalem and take all of uh, those amazing gold artefacts from the temple off to uh, uh, the temple in Babylon. But this is the arrival of a good king. The best king, the Lord of glory is coming. He's coming to get you and he's going to bring you home. A voice about God's coming. We long to see him come, don't we? We long to see the Lord return. Next voice, verses 6 to 8, I think it is. A voice about God's word. Did you see that? A voice about God's word. A voice cries out, cry out. That's God's line. And then I said, what shall I cry? This is Isaiah's line to which the Lord replies, all people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. God may have inflicted his punishment on one generation of his people. His winds of judgment may have blown over them and brought them to an end. And it's true that there were some people who died off without ever seeing a return. But that does not stop God. It does not stop God and it does not stop his word. He will continue. His word is committed to it, to be faithful to his people. Even in a place like Babylon, empires rise and empires fall. We've sung of that. Our God is the ancient of days. But empires like the Babylonian Empire, come and go. Assyria, come and go. Egypt, come and go. It'll happen to the US. It'll happen to Russia. It'll happen to China. It'll happen to North Korea. It'll happen to any human kingdom that comes and goes, but... What stands forever? What endures forever? Have a look down. Can you see it? End of verse 8. What endures forever? The word of our God. That's why here at Highfields we are absolutely committed to the word of our God. We want to build our lives on the word of our God. God is still 100% committed to his people. He's tied himself with promise after promise after promise. To save, to redeem, to restore his people. Every promise coming true in Jesus. Which in Isaiah's case meant returning to their homeland. Out of detention, back home to Judah, to Jerusalem. In our case, it means being on the receiving end of the amazing promises that God continues to give us. Promises like he will complete the work he's begun. Philippians chapter 1, or he'll finally bring us home into a a, a renewed creation, Romans chapter 8. Or he'll give us the strength to endure the race he's marked out for us, Hebrews chapter 12. Or even the last verse of the the chapter, chapter 20 uh, uh, of Isaiah 40, so famous, he gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak, even youth grow tired and weary, young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. That's the promise of God's word for us, his people. A voice about God's coming. 
A voice about God's word. Last up, a voice about God's salvation. You, this is back in verse 9, you who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain, you bring good news to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him. His recompense accompanies him. In other words, get up to the highest mountains, shout from the rooftops, the sovereign Lord is on his way, the one who rules with a mighty arm. That pictures his great strength. And he's going to bring his reward with him. But what will his reward be? Not the stolen artifacts from the Jerusalem temple that Nebuchadnezzar went off with. No, his reward, his rescued reward, are going to be his trophies of grace. It's going to be people like you and me. It's going to be his people. That's what his reward will be. He has given his life to redeem us and he will be celebrating us with him. Have a look in verse 11, that wonderful verse. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. I love that verse. And that verse, Isaiah 40, verse 11, has meant a lot to Sally and, and me and our family over the years as we've moved around the country. And maybe if you've got a young family here today and you're struggling, I know Christmas can be a bit chaotic and travelling around and dirty nappies and, and uh, trying to navigate parenting. Well, listen, listen to what the Lord says to you. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is a king who loves you. This is a king who saves you. A king who picks you up. He carries you close to his heart. Doesn't rush on ahead and say, come on, come on, speed up, keep up with me. No, he slows down, lifts us up like a loving shepherd on his Shoulders close to his heart, carrying, leading us, guiding us. A great saviour, yes, but a tender saviour. This is our God. And so the key issue for the believers in Isaiah's time is, will they believe what God says about the future? And will they act on that belief? And maybe they prefer to say settled in Babylon, in detention. We've kind of got used to the darkness and the exile and the being away from home. Nestled in among the paganism, the idolatry? Or would they be prepared to look God in the eye and hear his promise of hope and salvation and restoration? And would they renew a conviction to live in hope? Oh, please, Lord, change this. We desperately need you, Lord. We're in. We're coming with you all the way. Would they do that? That was a challenge for them. And if it was a challenge for them... How much more is it a challenge for us today? Will we believe God's promises to us about the future? And we act on them in the present right now. You see, the New Testament repeatedly uses the language of exile and return from exile as a metaphor for our spiritual lives right now, if we're followers of Jesus. And if we were to fast forward, again, two and a half thousand years, we would get to Matthew chapter 3. Last weekend, we looked at Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 3, so this is the last cross-reference, so maybe you can flick over in your Bibles to page 967, okay, so and maybe you've got Bibles nearby, let's all flick over to 967, because this is amazing, I don't know whether you knew that Isaiah chapter 40 is quoted in the passage just after Matthew 2, when all the, um, 
when you've, we've had the Magi visiting Jesus, uh, Jesus and his family escape to Egypt to be uh, protected from, from, um, from Herod. They come back to Nazareth and then we get to Matthew chapter 3. Have a look down in our Bibles and we can read from verse 1. Here's John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, live now in the light of the future that's coming, where God, his kingdom, is finally going to be enacted unopposed. There'll be no more sin and punishment and judgment and death and regret then. So live now in the light of then. And then he says, This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the ways for the Lord, make straight paths for him. A quotation of Isaiah chapter 14. He's speaking of the first coming of Jesus. We remember that, don't we, at Christmas time. The time when the Lord Jesus came into our world of gloomy exile and darkness and detention in order to bring tidings of comfort and joy. In other words, says Matthew, this incredible experience of return and exile, coming back to the land, this great event in the history of God's people was only really a signpost. A signpost to a much greater reality that one day the spiritual exile, separation from God, one day would come to an end as the Lord returns. First time he came as a baby in Bethlehem, the second time he comes in victory and triumph at his glorious coming again. Well, those exiles in Babylon were confused. They doubted God, perhaps. They were half-hearted. They were afraid. Feeling faith in God was a bit of an irrelevance in the world of Babylon, the bright lights, the big city they lived in. But they were called to believe in and to trust and to hold out hope in a future that God had prepared for them to to head on into a homeland far, far better than where they were then. And Matthew chapter 3 is telling us this is exactly what life is like for us today. We may feel a bit confused about living for Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here in body, but in mind and in spirit, you're a mile away, a million miles away perhaps. And compared to what life is like out there, the bright lights, the big city of scepticism in Cardiff or London or Beijing or New York or any of the the places we might land in our world, faith in God may feel irrelevant in 2024. But we've been called, as well as to receive comfort for our past, to renew a hope for a better future. future, And to act on a future about a promise that will come true one day a thousand times better than those Jewish exiles returning to to Jerusalem. They were called to believe that God would save them after those years, and we're to believe that God will save us and redeem us and restore us, either when he comes back as the Lord Jesus Christ or calls us to be with him. And one day, we will be restored and renewed. And until then, we cling on in hope, confident that he who began a good work in us will continue it until the future, until we see him one day. So the question I want to ask you is, as you go into the new year, will you believe and act on these great promises that God is for us, that he will keep with us, that he will give us the strength to press on? Will you believe that? And will you act on that belief? And how will that that eternal perspective affect what you do right now? Because it will do. 
If that is your ultimate future, that's your ultimate longing, your ultimate desire, how will that affect how you raise your kids? Or what you invest in? Or what you buy? Or what you stress over? Or what you fear? Or how you approach uncertainty and shame? 19 years ago, as we close, uh, some of us will remember the Boxing Day tsunami that took place in the Indian Ocean. And uh, no one expected at that time, uh, when they went on a tropical once-in-a-lifetime holiday in the sun, honeymooners, tourists, local villages, no one expected that a quarter of a million people would lose their lives on Boxing Day in, uh, in uh, 2004. And there was no warning. Uh, they were minding their own business, playing on the sand. Suddenly a wave arrives at the shore and their future is changed forevermore. No one got any notice then. But imagine we did have notice. Maybe you know, a year from now, New Year's Eve 2024, there's going to be a tsunami. Imagine you were given that notice and that Cardiff was going to be hit. And Jesus was going to return. That was the notice. He's, he's going to come, and he's going to come in glory, and he's going to come in power exactly a year from now. You wouldn't be worrying about, do we qualify for the Football World Cup? There's not going to be a Football World Cup. You're not going to be worrying about, can we pay off the mortgage? Don't worry about that. Because in a year from today, Jesus is returning. Thought experiment. Well, suddenly, what you did or didn't get for Christmas, or who you did or didn't meet, or whether you got round to repainting the skirting boards, or what A-levels you got or didn't get. It just, it looks very different, knowing he is coming back a year from today. It puts it in perspective. We don't know when he'll return. It might be sooner, it may be later. But Isaiah's advice to his readers and his advice to us today is, when we look at the past, make sure you look at your past through the cross which changes everything. It means we can live with the freedom of forgiveness and comfort for all we've done in the past. And as we look to the future, don't just settle on the short-term future things we're planning, buying this house, moving here, getting a new washing machine, pursuing this relationship. Look to the ultimate future. A new grace is coming. The king is coming. He will surely return. And as we do grasp him for who he is, that will give our Christmas and our new year and every year true tidings of comfort and joy. Will you do that? Let's pray that the Lord would enable us to do that as we move on from today into tomorrow and for the rest of the year. Let's bow our heads and pray. We praise you, Heavenly Father, for your word. We Thank you so much that you speak afresh to us, even through the ages, the the centuries. And ancient prophecy has so much relevance for us today. We thank you. And we do thank you so much for your forgiveness of our past, where we've failed, we've mistakes have been made, regrets are there. Help us to live in the freedom of of a past forgiven. And help us to live in the confidence of a future secure, that whatever comes our way, uncertainties, health concerns, family concerns, job concerns, relationship concerns, 
Whatever comes our way, we know you are for us. You're coming one day to take us home. Help us to cling on to you. Keep trusting in you, knowing that knowing you is the best thing we can possibly do. And trusting in you is the wisest thing we could ever do. Help us to do that, we pray, this year. Thank you for your grace. Give us strength for tomorrow, we ask. For Jesus' sake. Amen.